first reading today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. Mary visits Elizabeth. At the time Mary got ready and hurried into the town in the hill of the country of Judea, where she, when she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. The baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she reclaimed, Blessed are those among women, and blessed is the child you will hear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of any of my Lord should come to me? And as the sound of the greeting reached the, my ears, the baby in my womb leaped with joy. Blessed is who is who believes, and that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul praises the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful and the humble state of his servant. From now and all generations will call me blessed, a blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is the name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent rich away empty. He has helped his servant, his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful, Abram and his descendants forever. And even he said, to one fathers, Mary saved, stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then returned home. Our next reading is from Luke. the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid. I will bring good news of great joy, and that will be all the people." Shall we just bow for a moment in prayer? Shall we pray? Oh, dear Lord God, we thank you so much for your word, that word that you have brought down to us through generation after generation, so that we may also read it, study it, contemplate it. And Lord, we thank you that through your Holy Spirit, you open this word for us so that we may see all that you want us to see. And so, Father, we pray that you will do this for us today also. That the words we hear 
will touch us so that we may be better equipped to walk in your ways. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. When we look at the story of Christ's birth, one thing really stands out, and that is just how joyful and inventive he was. From the very start, before he's even born, and while John the Baptist was still in his mother's womb, we also see this joy. We read that when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, the child leapt in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth cries out, The child in my womb leapt for joy. Before he was even born, John couldn't contain himself. When the angels came to the shepherds, they brought good news of great joy. When the shepherds had been to see the baby, they glorified and praised God, obviously full of joy. And when the wise men came to Bethlehem and saw where the star stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. So as we come to this Christmas period, are we overwhelmed with joy? When we look at how the world celebrates Christmas, we see a period of self-indulgence. We see people trying to step out of everyday life for, for a short period of time and just spoil themselves. This is why it's often called or, or referred to as the silly season, because we tend to do things that we otherwise wouldn't do. We spend money we can't really afford. We eat copious amounts of food that we should eat in moderation. We drink large amounts of alcohol, etc., all in an attempt to create a short time of what we think will bring us joy, even though we know there will probably be consequences we'll have to deal with later. This is the joy to the world the secular world tries to create. Joy that is temporary. Joy that is extremely limited. Joy that often turns out to be no joy at all. But what the angels were referring to was complete joy, total joy, eternal joy. Joy that would never cease, never fail. This was life-affirming joy for the Messiah had come. The one who would set the captives free. So who were these captives? Well, the captives were the whole human race. Every living person. For we're all bound by sin, destined for eternal hell. In this child we see the one who has the, the keys to the chains, who has the ransom price for our perfect freedom, the one who is equipped to lead God's people out of the darkness of the evil one and into God's perfect light. For thousands of years, God had made it plain that this day would come. He made sure that mankind was never without hope by foretelling that he would send the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, to bring life where there was only death. This hope was given by God from the very time of the fall and Israel were reminded of that time and again throughout the ages. We read in Genesis that at the fall he proclaimed that Adam and Eve's offspring would crush the serpent's head. And Abraham is told that through him all nations will be blessed. 
And what greater blessing can there possibly be than for us to be brought back into a right relationship with God? We read about his coming in Numbers where Balaam prophesies his coming. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. In Deuteronomy, where Moses tells the people that God will raise up a prophet like him. In the Psalms, there are numerous references. In Isaiah, much of what Isaiah writes about is the coming Messiah. In the prophecies of Daniel, we see references. In Micah, in Zechariah, in Malachi, as well as in the rest of the Old Testament. So the people of Israel have been reminded again and again and again for thousands of years that the Messiah would come. And finally, finally, that day arrived. That day so long awaited, that day of immeasurable joy. But for mankind to fully understand why all this joy, we have to understand what's so important about this event. There are so many out there who have no idea why Jesus' coming is such a big deal. And yet it affects them all. So many are like the frog in the pot of water, slowly coming to the boil. They have no idea what awaits them. The world tells itself they're fine. Man is basically good. We must affirm each other. You're the most important person in the world. You're worth it, etc. It's interesting that we seem to need to talk ourselves into believing this. And the last thing the world wants to hear is that we're not okay, that we're not basically good, that what we actually deserve is eternal condemnation. They like to think that if there's a heaven, they'll all get there because they're good enough. They've lived a good life. They haven't done anyone any harm. So why shouldn't God accept them? They fail to understand or may not want to understand that only that which is perfect can come into the presence of the one who is perfect. And that not one of us can measure up to that. And therefore we all stand condemned. They have no idea of the peril they're in. So in their ignorance, their joy is not in the baby in Bethlehem, but in themselves. And for us to understand the need of a saviour, we first have to understand their own situation before God. Paul gives a very clear view of that in Romans 1, where he talks very strongly about the depravity of man and why mankind faces the wrath of God. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They fail to acknowledge God and they fail to acknowledge their own sin. And they can't even use ignorance as an excuse because he then points out that we can all know God. He says, since what, we may, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. We only have to look around us and open our eyes and see that God is there for all to see. His, power, his eternal power and his divine nature. In our desperation to not have to believe in God, 
We come up with all kinds of alternative theories regarding the creation of the world, but if we really consider everything with an open mind, we can't come to any other conclusion but that God is, and he created. But from the very beginning, as soon as sin entered into the world, man's thinking became futile and opposed God choosing to lean on their own wisdom, refusing to listen to God, to acknowledge him, turning their backs on their creator. So Paul points out that God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, their core being their most inner selves. Because it is our core being that's the problem. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. As Paul says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. So even Paul acknowledges that. And this is what the world either fails to grasp or refuses to accept. And so they indulge in the most depraved behaviours. The further we move away from God, the worse our behaviours become and the more we seek to justify it. Without the eyes of faith, There is little joy in Christmas. But then in chapter 3 he asks the question, are we any better? And the answer is, not at all. He says, for we have previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles, and that includes you and me, are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Whatever we see happening around us, we are also capable of. You've no doubt heard the phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. We were lost. We were dead in our sins. We had no hope, wallowing in darkness with no way out. The wrath of God remained on us, and we read in Revelation that if anyone's name is not written in the book of life, they're thrown into the lake of fire. And that includes all who remain under the wrath of God. That was our future, and there was no way out. Not until that little baby was born in Bethlehem. Is there any wonder there was such great joy? Where there was only darkness, there was suddenly a ray of light. Where there was only death, there was hope of life. Where there was only suffering, there was a promise of eternal bliss. And this not only for God's chosen people, Israel, but for all mankind. As the angel said to the shepherds, don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. All the people. And as I said before, it wasn't only the Jews who came to pay homage to him in the form of shepherds but also Gentiles in the form of wise men from the east. And it wasn't only the poor and the outcast, those on the fringe of society, but also the wealthy and the influential. 
Because when it comes to sin and eternal punishment, we all stand naked before the pure light of Almighty God. We're all in the same boat. We all stand condemned. And here was the one who came to take away that condemnation. Here was the one who would pay our ransom, the one who would bear our punishment. The anointed one of God who would restore the perfect relationship we had with him before the fall. This little baby lying there so helpless in that manger was the one all previous generations had been waiting for. And boy, did they rejoice. But why did he come as a little baby? Why in a stable? Why in the dead of night? This was the son of God. The Messiah, the anointed one. Why come like this? It almost looked like he kind of sneaked into the world. He could have come in a myriad different ways. But he chose this way. And why show himself first to shepherds? A group of people on the fringe of society, as they were considered unclean. And why would wise men come from so far away, from well outside of Israel? If there's one thing I know about God, it is that he does nothing without very good reason. This is God's way of telling us that from the very start, from the very beginning, Jesus came as one of us and for all of us. So he had to be born as a little baby. And grow up just like all the rest of us. He came for the poor, the marginalised, Jew, as well as for the rich, influential Gentile. And for everyone in between. Being born in a stable, the shepherds had no qualm about entering in. And when were they available? In the middle of the night. When they brought their flocks together for protection. During the day they were scattered everywhere. But at night, they were all together. And if Jesus had been born in a palace, they wouldn't have been able to get anywhere near him. But by the time the wise men came, Joseph and Mary had moved out of the stable into a house, as you can read in Matthew, where they could come to Jesus without any hesitation. Isn't it wonderful how God accommodates us all? From the very start, Jesus was available to all. In fact, I'd say that Jesus' ministry didn't start when he was an adult, but it started in that stable. That stable played a crucial role in God's plan. It says in Luke 2 that they were in the stable because there was no room for them in the inn. And from a human perspective, that's perfectly correct. But this was part of God's plan all along. God planned the coming of Jesus to the minutest of detail so that everything would come about perfectly according to the way he had planned it. And that's why he was born in a stable. When it came to the birth of Jesus, didn't, God didn't say, drat, all the inns are full, now what am I going to do? Oh, well, they'll just have to make do with the stable. No. With God Nothing happens by accident. He wasn't only fully aware of the situation, he orchestrated it. 
And even though we may feel a bit sorry for Joseph, Mary and Jesus and to put up with that stable, the angels certainly didn't. They sang for joy. It was all part of the plan. And what a plan it was. Jesus would come down from the glory of heaven and mix it with sinners of all kinds and types. This was the ultimate in getting your hands dirty. He would grow up here and experience everything that mankind experiences, while at the same time teaching mankind of who God is, how much he loves us and cares about us, and what we can do to please him. And when that was all completed, he would let the very people who he came to save put him to death in the most excruciating way. In this way, he would pay the debt mankind had accumulated up to that point as well as all the debt yet to be accumulated through the, their lives of sin right through to the very end of the age. Through his perfect sacrifice made on our behalf, he could impute his righteousness to all those who put their trust in him. He thereby unlocked the gates of heaven so that mankind could once again be welcomed into the very throne room of God and there dwell with him for all eternity. Through Jesus' pure sacrifice, we could once again be made pure so that we can be accepted by the one who is perfectly pure and be welcomed by him as his children. Once we grasp that, can we do anything else but rejoice at his coming? No wonder John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb when Mary came to visit. So now... As we come up to Christmas Day, what are you rejoicing in? Are you rejoicing in a holiday, some time off from work? You've got the car already packed, ready to go, so you can take off as soon as possible? Are you rejoicing in family get-together, where you can catch up with other, each other, especially if you haven't seen each other for a while? Are you rejoicing in good food and fellowship? Food that's lovely, been lovingly prepared? Or are you rejoicing in the coming of our Saviour who through his indescribable sacrifice has spared us from the eternal lake of fire and brought us into a wonderful relationship with our Heavenly Father? I would just like to finish with a poem. And it's called, Why Come the Way You Came? Why come, O Lord, down so low, when finest palace is too mean? Why to stable so unclean, a place where folk are seldom seen? You could have chosen any place, a villa grand, a mountain high, but chose instead a manger poor, where ox and ass sheltered lie. And why do shepherds first appear, when priests to serve you did ordain? Why not to kings, to those in charge, to those who govern your domain? Why send a star to wise men far for to come, to come and bow on bended knee? Were none so wise in all your land, in Israel, that you could see? Why did you come in nighttime deep when all the earth is fast asleep? Why not in day at noon or so? Why not when all this joy could reap? 
Why did you come as tiny babe, defenceless in that beastly stall, a child who must on man depend for all his needs, both large and small? Why not as ruler, grand and tall, astride a mount, a mighty steed, or in a carriage made of gold while men of might procession lead? Why not from sky for all to see, so who you are, there is no doubt? Or in the temple grand appear, where worshippers give joyful shout? You did not come to rule us, king. Instead, you came to serve us all. You came not to condemn the sinner, but to rescue from the fall. You came to spread the message wide, God the Father all does love. To bring salvation to mankind was why you came down from above. If you had come with pomp and pride as ruler, strong as mighty king, how would the sinner have been reached, the peasant, poor and suffering? If you were high above the crowd, how could the lowly have come near? Those whose life is spent in toil would from such one recoil in fear. You came to lowliest of all, to those to most remain unseen, identified with voiceless ones who to the world may ne'er have been, bringing hope to those without to light the smouldering wick once more, that they may know that God on high still loves them to the very core. The bruised reed, the damaged ones, the hurting and the broken folk, the burdened ones in dust laid low, you came to lift their heavy yoke, to tell them of the news so grand that you for sin the price would pay and lead them on to heaven's gate where home for them awaiting lay. You came not just for Jacob's seed, but all who on the earth do dwell. Foreign kings and peasants low would of your saving wonders tell. Rich and poor, weak and strong, from east and west, from far and near, on bended knee before you bow, homage pay with holy fear. For though you came by humble means, the lost upon the earth to serve, you rose up to the heights above, to heavenly throne you so deserve. Where at the right of Father's side, you now take up your rightful place and welcome all who humbly take the gift you won through loving grace. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how wonderful you are. How incredibly loving and gracious, merciful, compassionate. Father, while we were yet sinners, you came and sent your son to die on the terrible cross for you loved us so much. And that love has never wavered, has never fallen. Thank you, Lord, for all you do, for all you've done. Oh, Lord, help us to rejoice, to rejoice in that wonderful gift you gave us through our Lord Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Amen.